The Prayer for Illumination. All-knowing God, you have satisfied our hunger at sunset and held us close through nights of wrestling. Now let the day break with your blessing. Awaken and illumine us by your word that we may behold your likeness. Amen. The first reading comes from Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 31. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint and he as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall not... You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks, Thanks be to, to God. God. Our gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. Listen for... God's word to you today. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they might go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. The Gospel of the Lord. So it's been a few years now, but Lost remains my favorite television show of all time. I've seen it so many times start to finish, and it holds such a special place in my heart that I don't think there'll be any show that can take its place 
as my all-time favorite. And one of the main conflicts in the series is the balance between faith and science, each embodied by a different character. Jack is the man of science, and John is the man of faith. And in a climactic scene, Jack is asked to take a step of faith, and he resists. And John says to him, why do you find it so hard to believe? And Jack responds, why do you find it so easy? And John screams at him, it's never been easy. Still get goosebumps thinking about that scene. Because I couldn't agree more with John. The life of faith has never been easy. Believing is a struggle. And within that struggle, we find grace. I've told you before about how much my grandpa Schultz meant to me. My mother's father was our family patriarch for many years. A quiet and wise man. He served as a Lutheran pastor throughout his life and did so amidst much struggle. Besides my grandmother's severe health problems throughout her life, in 1977, Grandpa and Grandma lost their son Nathan at the age of 27 to a brain tumor. And Nathan's battle, though difficult, was also drawn out so that by the time he finally died, it was actually relief to the family. But then 10 months later, their firstborn son, Alan, died unexpectedly in a helicopter accident. And this is before I was born, but my mother recounted this story to me enough times that I feel like I witness it myself. And Grandpa got a phone call saying that his firstborn had died. And my soft-spoken Grandpa released a guttural, primal scream. No. And while I wasn't there, I can still hear it in my mind. I know what that scream sounded like. How do you go on preaching about God's love after enduring losses like these? This is why I admired my grandpa so much. Why do you find it so easy to believe? It's never been easy. Today we return to the Jacob story for the last time. Next week we'll turn towards Joseph. And here Jacob, when we last left him, the trickster had been duped by his father-in-law Laban into marrying both Leah and Rachel. That's where he left him last. So you think, how does a trickster respond to being tricked? More trickery, of course. Always Jacob's answer. So he's overseeing his father-in-law's flocks of sheep and in the process manages to breed the sheep in such a way that he takes all the strong ones for himself and leaves all the weak ones to his father-in-law. And after 20 years, he wears out his welcome with Laban and decides to head home. But there's a problem. Guess who's waiting for him back on the ranch? His twin brother Esau, who had sworn to kill him 20 years earlier. Does he still hold a grudge? Well, Jacob sends word out to Esau to let him know that he's coming back to town and sends him some gifts and 
A messenger returns from Esau saying, Your brother is on his way to meet you, and he's brought 400 men with him. Gulp. So Jacob's past has finally caught up with him. And he's terrified. And at this point, he does something that we've never seen him do before. He prays. He must be at the end of his rope. Because he finally prays. After a lifetime of hustling, Jacob is out of tricks. And with nowhere left to turn, he says, Oh God, I am not worthy of the least of all of your steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. Deliver me, please, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I am afraid of him. You know how hard it is to admit that you're afraid? Jacob learns the first of what Anne Lamott calls the three essential prayers. Help, thanks, and wow. This is a help prayer. Lamont says, There's a lot to be said for having reached a bottom where you've run out of any more good ideas. Or you just get out of a huge mess, possibly of your own creation. And when you're done, you may take a long, quavering breath and say, Help. People say help without actually believing that anything hears that. But this is a great prayer. And it is the hardest prayer. Because you have to admit defeat. You have to surrender. Which is the hardest thing any of us do ever. Jacob is beginning to learn how to surrender. And he hates it just as much as the rest of us do. There's a reason that the first step in recovery is the hardest. Admitting that you are powerless over your addiction. Anybody here like, you know, saying, yeah, you know what, guess that describes me. I'm powerless. No, we hate that. But this is the first step and the secret of the spiritual life until we admit that we need help and not like just a hand up, but we need deliverance. Until we do that, we will never no peace. So it's only after his help prayer that we get our story that we heard today that Jacob sends his entourage across the river and he's left alone in the camp and there a man wrestles with him all night long. Now unlike earlier where we saw Jacob's stairway to heaven which was said to be a dream, this is not described as a dream and yet it sure resembles the kinds of restless nights that we've all had. How many of us have tossed and turned all night until daybreak, wrestling with ourselves, with our past, with our fears for tomorrow? We all have, haven't we? That's what I love about these origin stories. They are, they are more than stories. They are archetypes of universal human experience. And so though he has finally asked God for help, that doesn't magically fix Jacob's problems. <laughs> Be nice if it would, right? Finally pray the help prayer and everything gets better. That's not how it works. Step one in recovery is just that. 
Jacob has asked God for help. And what he receives is a wrestling match. Okay, thanks God, not what I had in mind. But Jacob will not let go. And in addition to learning how to surrender, Jacob is also learning perseverance. And if that's not a paradox, I don't know what is. We must learn to both surrender and persevere. And finally at dawn, the man says to him, let me go for day is breaking. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And this is why for all of his flaws... I still love Jacob. It's why this story was read at my ordination service, because I know at least a little something of what it means to hold on to God when I've been at the end of my rope and saying, sometimes screaming at God, I will not let you go until you bless me. I haven't come this far to give up now, so I'm just going to hang on, even if it kills me. I don't understand why this is happening. I don't know how to get out of this situation, but I ain't letting go. It's never been easy to believe. So the man asks, what's your name? Which in the Bible, it's always bigger than it sounds. To ask one's name is to ask, what is your identity? Who truly are you? And Jacob, he responds. What you may recall, that name means heel or supplanter. It indicates that Jacob the hustler, how he's lived up to this point. And this mysterious man renames him, saying, you know, you no longer will be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans, and have prevailed. In other words, your past doesn't determine your future. As Brian Stevenson says, each of us is more than the worst things we've done. And though up to this point, Jacob has been a heel. Moving forward, he can live into a new identity as one who has struggled with God and prevailed. Now until now, it's appeared as though Jacob was merely wrestling with a man. But here we get the first indication that there's more going on than meets the eye. I wonder if that's true with all of our struggles. See, we think that our conflicts are with other people, with our situation, when in fact the real struggle is with God. And so Israel leaves this encounter with a new name and a new limp. Most of us think, I think just intuitively, that God's blessings are seen in our successes. But Jacob's already had plenty of success in his life. He, he's rich beyond what you'd ever expect, beyond what he deserves. He's had plenty of success in his life. What he lacks is peace. What he lacks is reconciliation. And those gifts only come to us through loss, through struggle, through surrender. This is the way. Everyone who struggled with God has a limp. 
having fought the one that Frederick Buechner calls our beloved enemy. Buechner writes, God is the enemy whom Jacob fought there by the river, of course, and in whom one way or another all of us fight. God, our beloved enemy. Our enemy because before giving us everything, he demands everything. Before giving us life, he demands our lives, our wills, our treasure. In feeding the 5,000, Jesus takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it. Those four verbs describe the path that Christ took for our sakes. Taken, blessed, broken, and given. Jesus is taken or chosen by God. Blessed by God. Broken. And then given that all might have life. And in following Jesus, God does the same with each of us. In our own way, each one of us is taken by God, blessed, and in one way or another, broken. And only then can we be given to the world. That's the path Jacob took, and so did Jesus. Eventually all of us take it. It hurts to be broken, doesn't it? Nobody likes being broken. Believing has never been easy. And though we may not see it now, the dawn is almost here. And the blessing will come. Along with the story of my grandpa's scream, my mother loved to tell me how at Alan's funeral, her introverted, stoic, heartbroken father stood in the midst of the sanctuary and sang with all of his might. I know that my Redeemer lives. What comfort this sweet sentence gives. He lives, he lives, who once was dead. He lives, my ever-living head. He lives to silence all my fears. He lives to wipe away my tears. He lives to calm my troubled heart. And he lives all blessing to impart. If you struggle with faith long enough, you'll have a limp. But our beloved enemy can be trusted amidst the struggle. So hold on, for the blessing of grace is on its way. Indeed, it's already dawned. Amen.